Welcome to the place where people of faith find real answers. We believe women deserve more than just religious band-aids for their most difficult and destructive relationships. And now for today's episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome. I'm Julie Sedanko with author and relationship expert Leslie Vernick. In a previous podcast, we talked about three lies that many Christian women have been taught, which keep them stuck, afraid, and silent. Today, we're going to talk about three more. And Leslie, I want to ask you, a lot of women I know you work with have husbands who will tell them, it's your fault that I act this way. I wouldn't cuss or scream, punch the wall or whatever if you would just fill in the blank. What would you say to these women? I would say that's a lie, that that's a lie that he's trying to get you to believe. And sadly, many times you do, because there's a smidgen of truth in it. And here's the smidgen of truth in that lie. And let's put it in a different context. So you're not as emotionally involved in listening to it. If your child cleaned the kitchen sink with pledge instead of Windex, and it was all full of smears, and you went in and you call that child a loser and an idiot, and they don't know anything about anything, is it the child's fault that you lost your temper and berated them and abused them with your words? No. Did the child do something inappropriate or did the child do something wrong? Probably, you know, the immature, they didn't know use the right cleaner for the sink. Did the child cause you to lose your temper? No. That's your responsibility. And so there is no perfect wife. And so there are probably going to be certain things that you might do sometimes intentionally or unintentionally that upset your husband, that you don't want to have sex with him three times a day or even three times a week sometimes because he treats you horribly, or you don't want him groping your boobs and butt while you walk by and he gets mad because you have an attitude about that. Or maybe you burned dinner or put too much salt in the potatoes and he flies off the handle and disrupts the whole dinner because it's your fault because you didn't cook like a gourmet cook. I mean, it's a million things that you could do. You could leave dirty dishes in the sink. You could leave the kids' toys on the floor. You could not answer him in the right tone. A million things that you could do because you are an imperfect, sometimes sinful person. I've been married 45 years to the same person. He aggravates me sometimes. He disappoints me sometimes. He bugs me sometimes. Sometimes he does things I don't like. I don't treat him with abuse, nor does he do that with me. And so how someone treats you says something about them, not about you or what you did wrong. And so this idea that it's your fault I act this way is nonsense. Jesus says it this way. He says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in my counseling office, I used to have a bottle of water that I would use to illustrate this point. It's a little water bottle, but I snuck in some garden dirt and I let it fall to the bottom. So the bottom of the bottle of water is dark, full of dirt, but you can't really see it because I hold the bottom of the bottle of water with my hand. When couples would come to me for counseling and a husband or wife would use that excuse, it's his fault that I act this way. I would say, all right, well, let's look what happens when I shake this bottle. And I'd pull the bottle out and I'd shake it really hard. And of course, all the dirt comes to the top of the water. And so now the water, which was originally nice and clear, looks 
brown. And I say, did shaking this bottle make it dirty or did it just expose the dirt that was always there? That's what Jesus is saying here. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when you're shook by a spouse, when you don't please him the way he wants you to please him, or you disappoint him, or you aggravate him, or you trigger him, or whatever word you want to use, and you might do those things. And he comes out with abusive speech or violent behavior or disrespectful tones or lies to you. That's not your fault that he does that. That's coming out of his heart. Here's another example. When I took my children to the dentist, the dentist noticed that they weren't brushing properly. Now he could have scolded them and said, you're not brushing your teeth for two minutes. And you know, you're going to have plaque and plaque leads to gum disease and gum disease leads to cardiac. Kids don't care about that. So what he did is he gave them this little tablet. It's called a disclosing tablet. And he said, I want you to chew this tablet. And so they looks like a little, like a little candy sweet tart or something. So they chew this candy and all of a sudden their teeth has red stripes all over it, all over their teeth. And he gives them a mirror and says, look at all the plaque that's left on your teeth because you didn't brush. Now he doesn't show them that to shame them. He doesn't show them that to say you should pull all your teeth out. He's showing them by saying the way that you're brushing your teeth is not enough to take off this plaque and look at all the plaque. After you just brush your teeth, look at all the plaque that's left on your teeth. It was a gigantic visual for my children to see. Oh my word. I couldn't see the plaque, but there it is. The disclosing tablet didn't make the plaque there. The plaque was there. It just exposed the plaque in the same way. When someone loses their cookies over someone who didn't do something they didn't like, they act abusively, disrespectfully. I'm not saying get angry. We can get angry without sinning, but when you're sinful towards someone and you're abusive and harsh and, or deceitful, and you let them have it with your words or your fists, it's not your fault. They acted that way. What happened was they had this belief in their, their head that life should always go my way. You should always do what I want. And when you don't, and when you fail, you deserve to be punished. That's a lie. They believe that they're not going to change unless they become aware of that in their heart and work on it. You are always going to sometime disappoint somebody. And if they feel they have the right then to harm you and hurt you because you did that, what they're saying is you have to be a perfect person in order to be in a relationship with me. And that's not possible. So let go of that lie. Even if you're not going to convince him. It's not your fault he acted that way. The person that's really needing to be sure of that is the victim, because sometimes you know you might have done something hurtful or disrespectful. You might have done something big. Maybe you had an affair and you're confessing that or you got caught. And then someone feels entitled to punish you verbally for the rest of your life. They have two choices if you do something big like that, cheat on them. They have a choice to forgive you and work on rebuilding trust or end their relationship with you because they can't forgive you and they can't trust you. The option of abusing you for the rest of your life and making you pay is not a biblical option. And don't feel so much shame and guilt that you have to allow yourself to be a victim of abuse because you are an imperfect or sinful person. Thank you. Such good teaching. And I'm going to be buying some disclosing tablets for my kids. (laughs) (laughs) They work wonders. (laughs) Leslie, a second lie that many women believe is that keeping your marriage together is the most important goal because God hates all divorce. Can you please speak to this one? 
Yeah. So there's actually two lies in this. One is keeping your marriage together is the most important goal. And then the second lie is that God hates all divorce, but let's just put them together because that's sort of the reason why you think it's most important to keep your marriage together at all costs. The Bible never says that marriage is the most important thing in life, the most important thing for a woman, the most important thing for a person to do. The most important thing to do is to love God and love others. Loving God comes first. And I think for especially Christian women, we have been taught incorrectly. We have been taught to be husband-centered women. We have been taught to be men-centered women. We have been taught to be marriage-centered women, meaning that they become our penultimate. They define our worth and our value. If you're not married, what's wrong with you? If he leaves you, what's wrong with you? You're not worth much. You did something wrong. You don't, you don't deserve a man if you haven't gotten one by the time you're 30. It's awful how we have made an idol out of marriage. And so women who buy this idolatrous view of marriage believe that their very worth and their identity stays on keeping their man. One of the saddest counseling cases I ever watched was a man who was telling his wife that he didn't love her anymore and he wanted to leave. Uh, he fell in love with someone else. He wasn't interested in her anymore. He didn't say it in a abusive way, but he said it in a painful way, for sure. I don't love you anymore. And I don't know that I ever did. And I'm leaving you for someone else. I mean, that's a horrible thing for any woman to hear from her husband. But this is what the woman's response was. Instead of saying, that makes me sad, or that makes me mad, or you've betrayed me or anything that might be a normal thing to say, what she said is, what do I have to do? Who do I have to be? I'll be anything you want me to be. I'll do anything. I'll get my breast implanted. I'll, I'll comb my hair the way you want. I'll do whatever you want. What do you want me to do so you won't leave me? This is a man-centered woman. This is not a God-centered woman who's trying to keep her marriage together at all costs, at any price, including the price of her own dignity. That is sad, and it's not godly. God wants you to be a God-centered person first not a person-centered person. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that the fear of man is a snare. When we become so wrapped up in having one person love us, and I will die if you don't love me like Leah did with her husband. If I don't have his love, I'm going to die. And she didn't die. And she finally realized I'm not going to get his love and I have God's love and I'm okay. That's so important. Marriage was created by God to help you grow together and be better together, that one nourishes the other, one supports the other, that as you walk together, it's better than walking alone through life. And, and we need that for sure. But when you have someone in this relationship with you who's abusive, deceitful, controlling, um, addicted, who's not walking together with you, but harming you, harming your children, and you just lie and pretend in order to keep this marriage, whatever it's called together. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that honors God that you allow yourself and your children to be lied to, abused, ignored, mistreated, and you stay just to stay married because you have no marriage. You have no relationship that God you know, intended. You don't have that. You don't have a covenant loving partnership. You have a slave-master relationship or a dictator-slave relationship or a parent-child relationship or no relationship at all because you don't even talk, but you're together, you're still married. Is that what glorifies God? Or is it more glorifying to God that you just tell the truth? The Bible says that we walk in truth. We live in truth. We tell ourselves the truth. The truth 
sets us free. In Ephesians, it says, let us not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. I don't think that God is asking you to be silent and pretend everything is fine, just so that everybody thinks you're one big happy family when there is rottenness and cancer at home. I think if you tell the truth, that's the best chance, probably the only chance you have at the possibility of true repentance and restoration. As long as you put your marriage first, then your husband can continue to act however he acts because you're too afraid to call him on the carpet. So I would say God values the sanctity of marriage for sure. We ought not to divorce for trivial reasons, but God allowed divorce for big deal reasons, adultery being one of them, but adultery symbolizing the breaking of covenant, the breaking of covenant that I am not here to be in a relationship with you. I'm here to use you and abuse you. And I don't think God asks you to stay in a relationship with someone who doesn't relate in a godly, loving way, but rather in a harsh, cruel, abusive, deceitful, controlling way. Tell the truth. Speak up. Jesus says when you're in a relationship with someone, if your brother or sister sin against you, you have this relationship, don't cover it up. Go to them. Speak to them. If they listen, then you can reconcile. You can rebuild that broken trust. If they refuse to listen, then up the ante. Bring it to the elders. Escalate the matter. And if they still refuse to listen, Jesus is very realistic about this. He says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This was a brother or sister. If a brother or sister sins against you, now the relationship is changing. It's no longer brother or sister. It's stranger. It's someone you don't trust. A pagan or a tax collector symbolized people in Jewish culture that Jews did not trust. It doesn't mean you're mean to them or cruel to them or harsh in return, but it means that you keep them at an arm's distance. They're not your close companion. They're not your intimate friend. And you don't have to pretend otherwise. Jesus tells us to love your enemy. If your husband is your enemy, he calls us to love. But he doesn't call us to stay married or live with an enemy. And so this is so important that we understand the whole counsel of God. God does not hate all divorce. Sometimes divorce is necessary. And he knew that because the hardness of people's hearts. And so he didn't want a woman who had no right to divorce to feel trapped in an abusive, cruel relationship without any means of freedom. And so that's a lie that marriage is the most important thing. God cares about the sanctity of marriage, but not more than you and your children's safety, both physically as well as emotionally and mentally. Leslie, I'm going to speak for so many women that I know are wanting to ask you something that has to do with the third lie. And that is, won't more love finally break through to him? Shouldn't they keep trying harder with more prayer, submission, sex, forgiveness? Shouldn't they at least try? You know, trying harder, I'm sure you've already done that. So where's it gotten you? So in a normal relationship with, that's having conflict, in a normal marriage that is long-term, you're going to go through seasons of, you know, we're not so happy. We have a C-minus marriage. It's not an F marriage. It's a C-minus marriage. It's not an A-plus marriage. And when one tries harder, they start planning date nights or they start having better conversations or they plan a special night together of intimacy. When they do that, usually the other person reciprocates and tries harder too. In a destructive relationship, that doesn't happen. 
what happens is it only feeds a lie. And so, so often when a woman goes to counseling or goes to her pastor and talks about an abusive relationship, the pastor says, well, you know, just submit more, try harder, have more sex, be more loving, be more forgiving, just like you said. But what happens is that feeds three lies. The first lie is your lie that if I do this, my pastor told me to do this. So if I obey my pastor, if I implying obey God and be the sacrificial wife and do everything I'm supposed to do and love more and try harder and, you know, forgive more and long suffering and sacrifice and submit and all the things that they tell you to do, surely he will come to his senses. Surely he will repent, but I've never seen a destructive man come to his senses that way. In all the years that I've been working with these couples, it only feeds his lie. So understand that it feeds your lie, that it's going to change him. It's not. Now I'm not saying you shouldn't be a godly person for your own sake. So even when he acts wrong, you're to act as a godly woman, but what a godly woman does in these situations isn't enable more sin to flourish. It's to speak the truth and love. It's to stand up against injustice and darkness and expose it. So it feeds his lie that it's, he's entitled to a wife who never upsets him. Just like we talked about in the first lie, it's your fault that I act this way. If you just gave me sex every time I wanted and never said no, if you'd never disagreed with me and never had your own opinion, if you let me spend all the money I wanted to spend, if you forgave me with no consequences, we'd be fine. You just let me do what I want. And every time I want you, and I want you to be the loving wife, I want you to be, you're that we're good. What kind of relationship is that? That's a fake relationship. That's not a godly marriage. It's not even a healthy marriage in anybody's book. And so it feeds this lie that he's entitled for you to do all the work to maintain or repair the relationship. And he can keep breaking covenant. And you're supposed to just keep bouncing back with a smiley face and open arms. There's no consequences for sin. That doesn't work for him because he will not learn from his mistakes and it wears you out and depletes you. The Bible says that it takes its toll to live with an angry and contentious person. And there's so many women who have suffered silently and sacrificed silently and are now struggling with huge health issues because of all the stress on their bodies, huge mental health issues with major depression and feeling like suicide was better than divorce in God's eyes, but that's not true. So trying harder feeds your lie. If I do this, he will change his lie that you need to be the perfect wife who does everything I want. And if you don't, you deserve to be punished. And it also feeds that lie that the pastor who gave you this advice the book that gave you the advice agrees. You're the problem that the marriage isn't working because if only you did everything he wanted, things would be fine. Things might be fine for him if you did everything he wanted, but he's not the only person in the marriage. Would things be fine for you? Do you matter? That's the question because when you're in a marriage, there's two people here and both people matter. So, you know, we're told to try harder, but let me tell you what you can do to do the hard work you have to do, but it's not the traditional try harder to make your husband happy kind of work. And that is that it's important for you to get stronger, for you to build your core strength, for you to work on you so that you're not so easily bullied and intimidated by his controlling tactics, whether they be rage or whether they be threats or whether they just be the silent treatment that you're so into having this relationship work, you've deformed yourself into a husband-centered woman instead of a God-centered woman. So we're going to change that. You're going to be a God-centered woman. You're going to get your nourishment and your marching orders from the Lord and not your husband 
or even your pastor on what you're to do. I'm not dismissing pastor's advice, but sometimes they're very focused on saving the marriage, even if you have to sacrifice yourself. It's important for you to build your own core strength. And that means you're going to take four steps. You're going to be courageously committed to truth. See, you're going to be open to teaching new teaching that maybe you haven't heard before. You're going to be asking the Holy spirit. What is the truth? What is the whole counsel of God? How am I to speak the truth in love? How am I to stand up against injustice? How am I to steward my own life and my own well-being amidst this toxic relationship? And then are, how am I going to take responsibility for myself? Instead of trying to fix him, how am I going to get healthier myself so that I don't continue to allow him to define me, to control me to determine my well-being? How am I going to steward my one precious self? Taking responsibility for myself while being respectful to him. Love your enemy, be respectful to him without dishonoring myself of having to lie and pretend that we have something we don't, that we have intimacy when all he wants is to use my body for sex. That's a lie. And God's not asking you to do that. And then the final step is E, how do I learn to be empathic and caring about who he is as a man and look out for his well-being, which is what your job is as a good wife without enabling sin to continue. So let me ask you a question. What is in your husband's best interest right now? If he's in a sinful pattern of lying or abusing or raging or using his physical strength or his spiritual knowledge to bully you and intimidate you and control you, what's in his best interest right now? Is it to feed the monster? by trying harder the traditional way? Or is it to get strong enough that you can say no more? That in his best interest is to say not to collude with his delusion that he's entitled to a fantasy wife that always gives him what he needs. That's not a real relationship. That's a fantasy relationship. It's a stepford wife relationship. To get strong enough to say, I love you, but this isn't your best self. This isn't at all the man that God calls you to be. And I'm going to love you enough to be honest with you. Like the emperor's new clothes. Everybody colluded with him that he looked great and he was butt naked. That's not your job to lie to your husband to say he's a great husband when he's really destructive and hurtful and abusive. And it's not your job to attack and accuse him either. But it is your job to figure out how do I speak the truth in love? How do I put down the consequences for his abusive behavior so that he learns, hey, you don't get to plant weeds in the garden and then get flowers or you don't get a get out of jail free card when you're abusive and, and mean in a family. It doesn't work that way. That's reality. And that's important for him to come to terms with reality and truth because God calls us to live and walk in the truth. And so if you're to be his helpmate, if you're to be the good wife, it's not about saving your marriage. It's not about trying harder to make him happy. It's about doing what God calls you to do to be the best version of yourself and not let yourself get squashed by a controlling husband and also call out his best self. So his deepest need right now isn't for more sex, isn't for good dinners. He might like those things like a kid likes candy, but a kid might really need some broccoli or bananas. And so his real need is for him to walk in the truth, for him to repent, for him to see himself more clearly. If your husband was walking out of the house with his zipper down, wouldn't you say to him, Hey, your zipper's down. Not because you want to shame him or because you hate him, but because you want him to be his best. When we refuse to speak the truth in love to our husband about who they are or where they are in life, we allow them to stay self-deceived. And as long as they're self-deceived, then the enemy can wreak havoc with their mind and your home. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 3.13, 
Let us encourage one another day after day, lest any one of us become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It is our job, especially as wives, as partners in a marriage, to speak the truth, take the log out of our own eye first, speak the truth in love to our spouse so that they have the best opportunity to see clearly and repent. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I've been there, done that. It doesn't work. And it may not. Jesus was really clear about this process. So let me close with this passage. I believe it's in Matthew 7. Jesus talks about how to confront someone. And he's talking about first, don't judge. So when he says don't judge, or you'll be judged by the same judgment you use, he's saying, don't come into this conversation with haughty spirit. Like I know better than you what you need. You're a jerk and I'm perfect. And let me tell you what you're doing wrong. Don't judge. You can discern, you know what sin is. He's not saying be ignorant about what evil is or what sin is, but he's saying, don't judge. Be careful of your attitude when you confront someone. The next step is take the log out of your own eye first. So we all have stuff. And when we have a log in our own eye, we tend to see things in a distorted way. It's called projection. We tend to project our stuff on someone else. And so do your own work, get strong, get healthy, put God first in your life so that you are seeing clearly and you are walking in the truth yourself. You're not just retaliating with ugly words back. But the third thing he says is very interesting. He says, don't cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn on you and trample you with them. In other words, there are some people, no matter what you say, will not listen. No matter what you say, will trample you, will hurt you, will trample your precious pearls of truth, and they will throw them right back in your face. And Jesus says, quit doing that. So if you've done that, if you've tried to speak the truth and love to someone, if you've come to them humbly, you've done your work, and they refuse to listen, Jesus says this in Matthew 18, treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. The relationship is broken. It's different. You can't reconcile. But don't keep casting your pearls before swine, hoping that they're going to listen when they keep harming you with those very pearls. So three lies. If I try harder, he'll change. It's my fault he acts this way. Or keeping my marriage together at all costs, any price is God's best for me are not true. Leslie, what you're teaching is so opposite from many of our favorite Christian books and even many churches. So what would you say to the person who believes you're destroying marriages with this teaching? I'm not destroying marriages with this teaching. The marriages are already destroyed. The marriages are already destroyed. I'm just telling the truth. I'm just telling the truth that instead of asking a woman to lie and pretend that her husband isn't destroying their marriage or isn't destroying her heart or isn't destroying her health, isn't breaking covenant repeatedly, and somehow she's supposed to lie and pretend to keep it together for the sake of the gospel, that's not biblical. That's not what God's asking her to do. God doesn't even do that himself. What they're asking her to do is have unconditional relationship with someone who's sinning against her repeatedly with no consequences. God says sin separates us from one another. And even our relationship with God is compromised when we live in unrepentant sin. And so when Jesus says, when someone sins against you, go to them and talk to them. And then you reconcile that relationship. If they're changing, that's great. You can rebuild that broken trust. But if they refuse to listen, even God, when Israel refused to listen to him, he divorced her. He didn't pretend that they were in the same covenant relationship when she continued to disobey and rebel against him. And we're not God for sure. And we can't judge, but 
you know what a healthy relationship is and what an abusive relationship is. We've talked about that on this podcast. I'm not talking about just a difficult relationship. I'm not talking about just a disappointing relationship. That's the common cold of every marriage. But when you have cancer and the marriage is about to die, for me to say, let's stay together and pretend like you're not dying isn't biblical. And so when I say, hey, the marriage has cancer, I'm just telling the truth. I'm not making the marriage have cancer. So many people say, I'm destroying the marriage. The marriage is destroyed. I'm trying to fix it by telling the truth. Leslie, would you please pray for us? Lord, I pray for all who are listening today. It is so hard sometimes to discern the truth from lies because even Satan used scripture to try to confuse Jesus in the garden temptations. And so, Lord, we can get confused by teachers who mean well, and teachers who are wolves in sheep's clothing, but they use scripture to confound us and confuse us. And so, Lord, we pray that everybody who's listening would do their own work about listening to what you are saying and what the Holy Spirit is saying to you about the situation that you're in. Father, I pray for peace, safety, reconciliation. I pray that those who recognize themselves as unhealthy, as abusive, as deceptive, that they would understand that the very things they want, which is connection and love and community, which we all want as human beings, are impossible to maintain when you destroy others with your words, when you lie to people, when you try to control them or manipulate them into being in a relationship with you without love and equity and caring and compassion. Father, you give us the roadmap. You tell us what to do. You give us the Holy Spirit to show us the way and the power to do the right thing. And yet, Sometimes we don't. We get so caught in our own emotions or our own past, our own problems, our own needs, our own hurts, our own sin, that we're not willing to listen to you and we end up shipwrecking our lives. And so, Father, I pray for anyone who's listening that have believed these lies, whether they're on the end of the receiver and being abused or their abuser, Lord, that you would bring healing to their life, that you would bring repentance to their spirit, and that they would desire to do the work of change, that they might be the person that you've called them to be instead of being a deformed human being, that you would call them to flourish and grow and love and be loved in good ways, in healthy ways. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If this podcast episode has been helpful, we'd like to invite you to a free webinar live with Leslie. It will be held twice on August 18th at noon or 7.30 p.m. Eastern. To register, go to lesliewernick.com forward slash join webinar. We appreciate you listening to this podcast. Until next time, may God bless your mind, your heart, and your home.